Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. My name is Taylor Bickle. Last class session we talked about Avanti and this class session we're going to talk about the front page. Um, you may be familiar with the front page but not as the front page. You may be familiar with it as His Girl Friday. Um, but the story is uh, there's a Chicago newspaper um, whose leading journalist comes in to tell the editor that he's going to get married and quit. And the editor is forced to take extreme actions to help keep him in town. Is IAL Diamond is said that he and Billy were already looking at doing something in this era, which is like the 20s, late 20s, and had also, um, though probably accidentally, uh, picked out uh, newspaperman stories. It was just kind of something that, for whatever reason, they were already considering. And so when the front page came along, um, even though they hadn't thought about adapting this, uh, when Paul Monash, the producer, um, who had produced Butch, Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid, um, came to them with this, they were, they, they were like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of already a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. Why don't we just do this? The challenge with this movie is it had already been adapted twice as a film. So it was a very, very successful stage play. In 1931, it was adapted into a movie, and then Howard Hawks adapted it, though changed it up pretty significantly, into his classic film, His Girl Friday. Wilder, though, felt that the 30, the 1931 film was handicapped by the, as he puts it, the very crude conditions of sound pictures at that time. See, because one of the issues is, in those early sound years, we hadn't really figured out great ways of recording sound, and it usually meant that the actors couldn't be very mobile um, you know, the cameras usually had to be literally locked into a soundproof booth. Um, and then, and then the, the microphones had to be put somewhere and they were often hidden, but they were so massive that hiding them on clothes wasn't always practical. So usually they got built into the set somehow. They'd hide them in a plant or something like that. Um, and so these, these, these heavy restrictions on the early sound era, uh, Wilder felt really limited what the first film could be. He does say that Howard Hawks' version um, was good. He says, naturally, since Hawks is a very good comedy director, the problem is it wasn't the Ben Hecht and MacArthur play, you know? Um, like, for example, the famous, there's, well, I, I don't know how famous it is now, but the the final line of the play is, is son of a bitch stole my watch. And, you know, you couldn't put that on screen um, once the once the Hayes Code was introduced. So this movie actually marks the first time that The Son of a Bitch Stole My Watch is actually in, a, in an adaptation of the front page. And it was things like that that Wilder felt the Howard Hawks version was missing. But the reason Wilder felt that that was so important to this and to that kind of ambiance of the film is... You got to remember Wilder worked as a newspaper man in Berlin. And, and as he says, he says, I've yet to meet a newspaper man who said, oh, heck, or oh, gosh. You know, these guys were, you know, rough around the edges. And, he, he, you know, he felt that, that, that that's what the Howard Hawks version was really missing, was that, that kind of blue collar, rough around the edges, working man kind of, kind of feeling. So they get it they they rewrite they estimate about 60% of the dialogue you know to kind of fit their style and they actually do something interesting they actually choose to open up the play a little bit they choose to open it up um so they include some scenes that were done off stage like for example there's a scene where the psychiatrist gives 
the convict a gun to reenact the crime, which is only referred to in the play. But Wilder liked this idea so much that and and the idea of this stupid psychiatrist that he expanded on it even further. So he not only opened it up in terms of instead of just referencing things, we see things, but also in terms of, you know, making it even bigger than it had been. And there was there's there's actually one technical note here that I want to that I want to give you. This came from um, on the Kino Lorber Blu-ray. There's there's a DVD or I'm sorry, there's a there's a special feature that's an interview with <laughs> I'm going to forget their names, but it's basically the first assistant director of this film and then Billy Wilder's personal assistant on this film. And what his assistant says is Billy, like say Billy has a two shot, right? Well, what he would do is he would let an actor leave the frame so that he would isolate it into a single and then that always allowed him to cut away from that. He called it isolating for the cut. I don't know if he learned that from Don Harrison, who was his editor and then a later associate producer. I don't know where he learned to do that, but it's such a it's such a fantastic technique that I thought I'd share it with with you guys. Basically, every time you see an actor leave a frame, especially if they leave one person behind, that then sets you up to start cutting, you know, to start intercutting more. Um, it, it, it sets you up to cut from that to something else. Um you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, you can cut on action. You can do all these kinds of things. But I'd never heard of this idea of of letting someone leave so that then you can cut. You know, I thought I'd I thought I'd mention that. Um, and there's a couple of good examples of it in um, in the front page that they show. There's a scene in um, Walter Matthau's office when Jack Lemmon comes to tell him that he's going to get married and leave. Um, there's another one that. I don't know if he would consider this the same thing because it's so different, but there's a scene where there's a guy from the mayor or no, from the governor's office who goes to see the mayor and the sheriff. And when he leaves, then they start cutting. And I don't know if that counts or not either, but, but this, this idea of, of isolating for the cut of leaving yourself with a single or some instead of a two shot or something like that. And then you can start cutting. It's an interesting idea. Something that I think some of us might want to start playing with. Um, now, here's the problem with this film. This film didn't do that great. I mean, we're, we're really entering a, a period of Billy's career where he really, really struggled to connect with audiences. It didn't do great. I think it's very watchable. I think it's a really fun movie. Um, I think the story still holds up all the way from the original front page play. And I, But I also really like uh, His Girl Friday. And honestly, I think His Girl Friday is better than this film. But that's just my opinion. But what Billy says in Nobody's Perfect is he says, I'm against remakes in general because if a picture is good, you shouldn't remake it. And if it's lousy, why remake it? And the reason he says that this is such a problem, he says in conversations with Billy Wilder, he says, they always have in their memory the picture that they praise, that they think is a masterpiece, better than it actually is. You remember you saw it as a rerun 40 years ago and the times were better or we were a little bit more naive. We laughed easier. This idea being that a lot of these movies we grow up with, and to us, they're massively important or they're great films. And if we were to look at them more objectively, we'd say, wow, this really doesn't hold up or maybe this doesn't work as well as I remembered or whatever. But in our memory is a better movie than than there actually is. And that's one of the that's one of the issues with remakes is it can be a lose lose proposition, you know, Um 
it's it's tough it's just tough it's tough to make a movie as good as what somebody else has already done and on top of that it's it's sometimes even tougher to help people realize that the movie they remember as being so good isn't even that good in the first place it's just that they feel that way about the movie maybe they grew up with it and so and and so it's hard for them to look at it objectively you know um hard to see the things that don't hold up anymore um yeah it's just it's it's kind of a terrible place to be in as a filmmaker. Um, there's very few remakes that I think are as good or better than the original. Um, I think Scorsese pulled one off, and we talked about that um, with his semester. We talked about Cape Fear and how he adapted, you know, from that from the old uh, '60s version starring Gregory Peck into you know that '90s version starring Bob De Niro. Um, I think that one worked. Um, Hitchcock remade his own film. He remade the Thirty Nine Steps. Uh, not the 39 steps he remade the man who knew too much and i think the 50s version is far more interesting and fun well maybe not interesting but it's definitely a lot more fun and kind of easier to watch than the 1930s version um even though i think the 1930s version is great and frequently gets overlooked um but it's 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 so hard it's so hard to go out and remake something um Especially something that 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 was so clearly that so clearly resonated with so many people. You mean I mean I mean you have a play that did very well, and then two movies spawned out of it, and this is the third one. You know, and I haven't seen the nineteen thirty one version, so I don't know how good or not it is. You know, I I I would actually really like to get my hands on all three of these films, watch them. You know, in you know watch them in short order, and then. And and also read read the the play as well. You know, I'd be very or or even see, you know, see see it performed. You know, I'd be very curious to see how they kind of work. You know, and 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 what's you know what are the strengths of one and what what are the weaknesses of another. I think that that alone would be a very interesting study. But um. This film just didn't work for uh, for the audience of 1973, which is a little sad. Um, and uh, and unfortunately, it's it's that it's that sour note that we have to uh, end this episode of or the, that we have to end this class session on. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our finale. Uh, we'll do another double feature, just like we started. We're going to do Fedora, and we're going to do Buddy Buddy. Um, and that will kind of, uh, yeah, and that's going to wrap us out. Um, that'll be the last we get to hear from Billy Wilder. Um, thank you so much to, for listening to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely open to hearing suggestions about what we do next semester um, or, or, in, or in further semesters. Um, but you can email us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. Or you can email us at, um, or, or I'm sorry, <laughs> you can message us on Facebook. There's a Hitchcock University, University Facebook page as well as um, uh, on Twitter, which is at Hitchcock underscore U. The letter U is in university. Thank you so much again for listening to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. My name is Taylor Bickle, and we will talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks so much.